Welcome back to the 2021 High on Film Awards! Coming up tonight, the awards for best music, best Oscar clip, and who will take home the coveted Palme de Verre. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis! Well, Chris, we've had our first costume change. Tell me, who are you wearing? Why, this is a corduroy Old Navy tuxedo. They're three for $100. (laughs) What about yours? That's a nice jacket. Would you believe this is off the rack from a little boutique called Marshall's? Oh, I believe it. Marshall's is a fine establishment. Well, enough of the host banter. We're putting all jokes aside. It's time for the award for best gut buster of 2020. This award will, of course, go to the funniest performance of the year. The nominees are Maria Bakalova, Borat 2, subsequent movie film. Andy Samberg, Palm Springs. Martin Lawrence, Bad Boys for Life. Anthony Kerrigan, Bill and Ted Face the Music. And Rada Blank, the 40-year-old version. And the winner is... Rada Blank, the 40-year-old version. Steve Carell, sit down. We said the 40-year-old version. Not welcome to Marwin. Congrats, Rada, on a great performance. They're two sides of the same coin. If you're going to bust some guts, you're going to need to jerk some tears. The nominees for Best Tearjerker are Onward, Dick Johnson is Dead, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And the Felix goes to Sound of Metal. Congratulations to the Sound of Metal team for emotionally gutting us all. Stay tuned to the High On Film Awards for more glamour, more surprises, and more Felix Gold when we come back after this. Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film! Tonight, we've got Robin Hitchcock and Nomadland. It's not that hard to cook a burger on tonight's episode. Welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering Talk About Movies, and welcome back to our Oscar Spectacular. It's part two of our two-part celebration, the Best Picture winner at this year's Academy Awards. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and today we're talking about, that's right, Nomadland, from the year of our Lord 2020, directed by Chloe Zhao, written for the screen by Chloe Zhao, based off the book by Jessica Reuter. And with me, as always, is the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hi, Chris. Hey, Brad. Uh, Well, we were right about Best Picture. 
Yeah, we were. We called it. We said Nomadland. <laughs> we did. And honestly, in hindsight, it almost feels like nothing else really had a chance. Nomadland, I think, won the most Oscars at the Academy Awards this year and also won yeah. every award leading up to it. Except the SAG. That was, but that's phrased as ensemble, right? Correct. But I, yeah, I look at that as like similar to Best Picture, but yes, it's definitely their comparable category. But uh, I think phrasing it as ensemble definitely puts it in a different light as well. Totally. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, there were some other things uh, that didn't happen that we thought were absolute locks. One notable, uh, the Chadwick Boseman loss. Ugh, I. Mm. The entire debacle around reframing the Oscars around that, uh, I guess, assumed win. That's that's what we're assuming, right? They tried to reframe the Oscars to have that be the last thing, and then, whoops. Yeah, I mean, a, a gigantic, gigantic blunder in a show full of gigantic blunders. Oh, you, okay. Well, I, it's interesting you think it's full of gigantic blunders, because I think there's a couple of standouts but otherwise i was okay with the at least the awards yeah no, no no i was okay with the awards i thought the show like more the production of the show as a whole made a mm. lot of mistakes all right well before we go further i, I want to get our guest's opinion on this as well uh she is a return guest to high on film whose depth of oscar knowledge uh continually just blows my mind she is the co-host of two of my favorite podcasts to listen to the keanu review and the number one movie in america Someone who also, I believe, completed this year's Oscar death race and watched every single movie nominated for the 93rd Academy Awards. Our friend, Robin Hitchcock, is here. Hi! Happy to be here. Oh, Robin, thank you so much for joining us, bringing your, your deep knowledge of the Academy Awards. And uh, I, I love your opinions on movies, uh, as I'm a big fan of both your movie review podcasts. And I'm, I'm honored you could be here today. Thank you. And I'm so glad you did introduce me because I was like dying to get in there and be like, yeah, the Oscars were garbage. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we weren't going to let you suffer too long. <laughs> Aside from the Bozeman thing, my biggest complaint is no clips slash movie montages. Yes. It didn't feel like a show about movies. No, it was a very dry awards ceremony. It could have been Boy Scout awards like for. <laughs> exactly. And one thing that. Colin, my husband, asked me the next day. He was like, so what was wrong with it? I was like, they made no effort to be entertaining. Except for the the one Glenn Close bit. The one Glenn Close bit, which yeah. was fine. Right. I mean, they tried to do the thing of like, we're, oh, we're going to tell backstories of the nominees, which in theory, I can like a little tidbit here or there is fine. But give me the Oscar clips. Don't that do that in lieu. That's the Barbara Walters special that you air before the show. That's not the show. <laughs> That's a good point. I was going to say, I was touched by a few of them, but no doubt Me half too. of them landed flat on their face because it was just like, oh yeah, he um, he liked Citizen Kane when he was a kid. How about that? And it was just like, oh, okay, who cares? Yeah, particularly for a lot of these movies where these aren't movies that are usually widely seen it would be a good thing to show clips to get people more interested in potentially seeing them. It is, oh, I was so mad at that. Yeah, you. there was no context available to for anything. Yeah. But that's a good po horrible. point, Brad. Like, uh, you should show clips being as now this Oscars, more than any other Oscars that I can remember, has almost every single movie on a streaming platform currently. Mm -hmm. And I think only The Father's not streaming. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, and you, and you can rent it, you know, for 20 bucks. Uh, I completed this year's Oscars death race and I saw none of the nominated movies in the theater. Wow. Wow. What yeah. a cool that's amazing. Yeah, that will yeah. never happen again. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really impressive. Wow. wow. It's like throwing a perfect game or something. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <it> that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any thoughts on today's subject and the the night's biggest winner, Nomadland? Chloe Zhao, the only the second woman ever to win a director uh, Oscar. Uh, very well deserving. I thought she was one of the locks, and I'm glad that went the way it did. Uh, and mm-hmm. Frances McDormand, her third Best Actress Oscar. Honestly, probably she was third in line for me to get it this year, just like Anthony Hopkins. I think they both did phenomenal work. But I had two other people in line. I wanted Bozeman or Riz Ahmed and then maybe Hopkins. And I wanted Mulligan or Viola and then maybe Francis. But not to diminish either one of their works. I think they're both phenomenal actors. I was happy that Francis McDormand won because I predicted that she would. And wow. uh, other people like my Nomia co-host Sean Collier was like, uh, you're wrong. <laughs> All the experts think you're <laughs> wrong. <laughs> and I was like, well, I my gut tells me and my gut was right. And I really like her. And I was thinking about it, like, who would I vote for? And I think I might have voted for her. I'm not hmm. totally sure. Often with the best actor, best actress category, I think about did you make the movie work? Right. So that, I think, is the argument for Anthony Hopkins to win. He should not have won. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but, yes. I mean, it was a great performance. But like that is Nothing a movie which I enjoyed, The Father, that only worked because Anthony Hopkins gave a great performance. Yeah. I, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom could have worked with another actress in that role. That's true. I don't know if Nomadland could have worked with somebody other than Fran. You know, I, watching this a second time for this, the first time I was kind of so taken with the cinematography, the direction, and the you get so many kind of big moments, especially speeches from the nomads, mm-hmm. that McDormand is such a constant that mm-hmm. I really wasn't even focused on her much as much the first time. So this time through, I really kind of, I was more focused on her performance. And yeah, I got to say, she is her every nuance like she's fantastic like she is a great actress always and um i i was certainly in the carrie mulligan group as far as like kind of who i wanted to win and who i thought would win particularly early on once we kind of started getting closer to the awards i thought her chances diminished but it's really hard for me to watch mcdormand in this movie and say she's not very deserving because she actually is I mean, really, the only the main arguments are if you think another performance is better, but like the main argument against her is she already has two. Yeah. And just yeah. won one a couple of years ago. Exactly. Like, and recently. That's usually like Academy Awards. Like you won. You already won one and you won one recently. You're not going to win again. Right. Like I remember when I was arguing for for Frances McDormand over Viola, I was like, well, Viola just won. And then I was like, wait a second. Viola won less recently <laughs> yeah. than Fran. Yeah. And supporting. Yeah. For a movie she should have won Best Actress for. Right. It's category fraud, though, because she really wasn't a lead performer in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I know she's the title character. She should be supporting in this yes. one. It's Yeah. Oh, believe me. We could we could go on. I could go on all day about that. Yeah. Uh, well, before we go any further into Nomadland, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, like we said, it's streaming. It's on Hulu right now. Go watch it. It just won the Best Picture. But maybe you watched it 
back in when did it, it came on Hulu in February. Maybe you rented it. You saw it in a theater at a film festival pre-pandemic. Who knows? Maybe you need a refresher is what I'm saying. Brad and I have prepared a little trailer and it goes like this. In a world where a person can work their whole life and still not be able to live off their retirement benefits. The way I see it is that the Titanic is sinking and uh, economic times are changing. A widow named Fern will hit the road for a fresh start. Oh, you think that's what I've done, George? I chucked everything George, to hit the George, road? Is that what I did? All right, I'm sorry. She'll join a community of migrant workers traversing the country in their vehicles to make ends meet. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Fern will experience all the hardships that come with living in a van, like flat tires, engine failure, sub-zero temperatures, and coriander. No. 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 All right, let me just say that this is a lot more complicated than I thought. But ultimately, she'll find peace in the simple things, like her van. I put this little latch on it, and then when I open it, the stopper holds it and creates more counter space. Her friends. <laughs> We'd be the bitches of the families. <laughs> Maybe when I die, my friends will gather around the fire and toss a rock into the fire in memory of me. And a big helping of freedom. It was just desert, 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 all the way to the mountains. There was nothing in our way. Searchlight Pictures presents an Academy Award-winning film streaming on Hulu, depicting Amazon warehouse working conditions in a neutral light. Most of us in this lifestyle use a five-gallon bucket. Three-time Oscar winner Francis McDormand, Linda May, Bob Wells, and Swanky as themselves, and Oscar nominee David Strathair reveals his favorite high-on-film segment. So what are you going to do next? I'm going to go to the Beet Harvest in Nebraska. Seriously, if either of you want to come on the podcast, the door is open. I can't smoke liquor sticks while I Surviving America in the 21st century. He died having never been able to take that sailboat that he, he bought out of his driveway. I didn't want my sailboat to be in the driveway when I died. And it's not. My sailboat's out here in the desert. The Best Picture winner of 2020, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I'll just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. Ah, a, a touching piece of cinema. Just a, just a wonderful film. And now it's time for Trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, America's favorite podcast game. We give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the tough decisions. You must trash one of these movies, which means it's eliminated from existence. You get to star in one, in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself, and then that means the third movie must be destroyed, which means the only version of that film that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Bad Boys 2 fame. <laughs> so, uh, we were just talking, Francis McDormand, three-time Best Actress Oscar winner. 
Let's do the three movies. Fargo, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Nomadland, Trash Star Destroy. It's not an easy category. I I really, I'm not going to star in Nomadland, that I'm sure of. Three Billboards? I, I do like that movie. I know that's a kind of a polarizing film. I really mm-hmm. do like that movie a lot. Um, but I think the scale tipper might be like the chance to work with the Coen brothers and to work in Fargo, which is like kind of a classic masterpiece, whatever you want to call it. So I think I have to star in Fargo and I would take the role of, um, is it, what's his name? Peter Stormare, Buscemi's partner in the movie. Um, I think I think to me that's just to hang out with Steve Buscemi, who going crazy throughout the whole movie is fun. So I'm going to take that role. You get to throw him in the wood chipper. I I know that's cool. That's that's cinema history right there. Um, in which case, ooh, three billboard. I think I have to trash three billboards. Mm. Because that movie becomes a a fucking mess in his... Like, it's already kind of wavers a little bit as far as um, uh, being problematic. Uh, (laughs) A lot of people would argue I can kind of see both ways. But within Michael Bay's hands, that movie becomes absolutely unwatchable. And Nomadland is bad, too, but... Uh, I think it could be. I, I think it would be a little easier of a watch. So Bay gets Nomadland, and I'm trashing three billboards. I have the same answer, but for different reasons. I do hate three billboards. That's, that's I, the I most popular a, opinion. Yes. Yeah. So I want that gone. Also, that leaves open the door for Willem Dafoe to win an Oscar for oh, a Florida Project. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then also maybe uh, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird or Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water in Best Actress. A lot of a lot of good possibilities there. I would love a Saoirse Oscar some someday. I guess it's going to happen. Someday, I was right? going to say that'll happen. Yeah, yeah, right. She has to. I mean, but that's what they were saying about Glenn Close in '89. So true. who knows? <laughs> that's what they said about Amy Adams too a while yeah. ago. And no one ever said that about Amy Adams. <laughs> I don't know. After June Bug, I feel like people were like, "Yeah, just wait." Yeah, they said it once after June Bug. I think <laughs> she had a lot of nominations. Yeah, she's she's racking them up. Uh, she's just one behind Glenn, right? Wow, already something like that. Or, no, two oh, maybe, now. No, maybe two, two now. now. Yeah, I think two now. Uh, I want obviously want to be in Fargo for a couple reasons. Like like Brad said working with the masters great film i think the role i would take is i want to be marge's husband (laughs) or Mm. wife in this case um great choice um yeah i i want to be in that last scene like that's the best part of the movie Mm -hmm. and i i think michael bay's nomadland would be hilarious (laughs) it would be (laughs) um the other thing i want to say about fargo and and being an actor in Fargo is that I was like in sixth or seventh grade when that movie came out and I got in a like fight with the kid who ended up being our high school valedictorian. And he, I was talking about Fargo and Minnesota accents and he was like, that movie set in North Dakota. And I was like, 
excuse me, it is not. <laughs> and he's like, Fargo is in North Dakota. And I'm like, the movie is in Minnesota. <laughs> that's it was hilarious. Bad. It's tough being right. Yeah, yeah. that's. So I could have been like, I was in the movie. I know. As opposed to, I've seen the movie. I know. Which apparently did yeah. not work. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm slightly different. I am absolutely starring in Fargo. That is almost a no-brainer. Uh, I was gonna do the Peter Stormare role, but uh, I th- I'll now I'll take Buscemi's role, and I'll uh, Brad, you and I can pal around in the film. Oh, and uh, yeah, we get to oh. be in a modern classic. Okay, <laughs> sorry, you don't get to hang out with Steve Buscemi that's nice. anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But I get to put you in a wood chipper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look on the bright side. Yeah, consolation, Brett. I I do like Nomadland, but I'm going to trash it because I think the idea of giving such a already volatile movie like Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, to Michael Bay is I. I mean, what can I say? I love to watch a good train wreck and to watch Michael Bay tackle that kind of movie and inevitably, I assume Crash and Burn would be outstanding. There's a pivotal explosion. There is, yeah. There is a pivotal explosion. That's true. That plays well into his into his wheelhouse. There's a defenestration. There's all kinds of good stuff in this movie. There's yeah. Michael Bay can can do all right with it. And yeah, and I'm I'd be very yeah. curious to see his politics injected into this movie. Ooh, oh no. I know. I know. It's more of a masochistic uh, wish than anything. But if we're gonna destroy something, let's properly destroy it, right? Fair enough. Okay, one more category. Three. 2020 Best Picture nominations that did not win. We'll do Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Mank. <laughs> Trash Star Destroy. Uh, I'm starring in Judas and the Black Messiah. That was my favorite movie of the year. The role... I mean... <laughs> I, obviously the Jesse Plemons one is... Sure, uh, yeah. Kind of makes probably, and I thought he was great in that movie. Uh, to be able to just play across from Lakeith Stanfield for the whole movie uh, would be pretty awesome. So, unfortunately, as good as he was, I'll take the Plemons role in that movie. Um, Mank and Trial Chicago 7. Um, boy, I kind of want to see Michael Bay try to do the... Uh, the backstory of the writing of Citizen Kane and how uh, I don't even know where the hell that's going to go. And that is truly enticing to me. So I'm giving him Mank and therefore trashing Trial of the Chicago 7, which is a movie I did enjoy. Um, But it's just more fun to let, in my opinion, to let Bay try to take on Mank. Yeah, I think I was I was thinking about starring in Trial of the Chicago 7 and thinking about taking Eddie Redmayne's part because I feel like it can fit pretty well in there. But I mm. Yeah, but I think I'm going to go for broke here and instead fuck it, I'm going to star in Mank and work with David Fincher and I'm going to be Mank and kind of solve the age mm. issue with everyone else being that 20 works. years oh. younger than Gary Oldman in that movie. <laughs> At least if not 30. And again, a movie I have problems with, but ultimately I did enjoy. I really, especially watching it back to back with Citizen Kane, I I really dug a lot of the film history that they really inject into it that I think you almost need to know to enjoy that movie at all. Definitely. Although Judas and the Black Messiah was by far my favorite of these three. I just don't think I'll fit in the Jesse Plemons role. Uh, so Mank it is for starring. And then, yeah, I think ultimately I have to 
let Michael Bay do Trial of Chicago 7 and and for for its own sake trash Judas and the Black Messiah. Still waiting on that Fred Hampton movie then. Yeah. So are there any white women in Judas and the Black Messiah? There might be some in the redneck group meeting that he goes to. But even yeah. that's a maybe. Yeah, Plemons is Plemons is married. I can't okay. remember if you actually see his wife. Okay. And I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie twice, and I can't remember if you see his wife. So that's a bad. I've only seen it once, and I was thinking about it, and I truly couldn't remember any white women. But I'm allowed to like play the wife who's like, dear, like they're there, and that's starring. That's not breaking the rules of this yeah, game. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You can be an extra. Yeah. Totally if fine want, if you want to preserve yeah. the movie. That is totally out of respect for that movie, which I didn't totally love. I was not 100% on board with it, but I don't want to eliminate it because it was it is a mm-hmm. worthwhile film and I certainly don't want Michael Bay anywhere near it. <laughs> Especially because I want to inflict Michael Bay on Aaron Sorkin. As That's punishment. a good point. <laughs> so, and then Mank, who needs it? trash that's a very good point the headaches that michael bay and aaron sorkin would go home with every damn day working on trial of chicago 7 together would be worth it that's a very good point the enemy of my enemy is my friend Uh, (laughs) we we do live by that here on high on film we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with more oscar spectacular more nomad land and more robin hitchcock right after this hey teens while the stuffy adults are watching Nomadland, you can see the perversion of the American dream through characters your own age in American Honey. Watch as two movie stars and a cast of non-actors travel the country in a van, struggling to make ends meet while appreciating the freedom the open road offers. Shia LaBeouf stars in his first of two films with Honey in a title as a manic pixie dream grifter with a rat tail who leads Sasha Lane's star into a life of love, jealousy, and magazine subscriptions. Travel across the vast emptiness of the American dream. Andrea Arnold's American Honey. Music is integral to film. Much like Ninja Rap in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, the perfect song at the perfect moment can make movie magic. The nominees for Best Piece of Music in a Film are Silly Games by Janet Kay. From Small Axe, Lover's Rock. Hell You Talking About, David Byrne, David Byrne's American Utopia. The Room Where It Happens, Leslie Odom Jr. and the cast of Hamilton, Hamilton. Poverty Porn by Rada Blank in Crisis, the 40-year-old version. And Chain Gang, as performed by Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami. And the winner is... The Room Where It Happens, Leslie Odom Jr. and the cast of Hamilton. Hamilton. Personally, I prefer Satisfied. Acting is about dedication and commitment, but to win any awards, all you need is one great scene. These next actors have plenty of great scenes. The nominations for Best Oscar Clip are Delroy Lindo, The Five Bloods, Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman, Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah, Yoon Ya Young, Minari. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And the winner is... 
Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A truly incredible performance, capping a career of indelible work. A heartbreaking loss of an artist, an icon, and a hero. Thank you, Chadwick Boseman. And we're back, high on film, discussing the Best Picture winner, Nomadland. And now we're about to dig into it. It's time for scene work. We rank the top three and the bottom three scenes of Nomadland. And scenes can be uh, used in a broad sense. They could be elements of the movie, um, a performance, uh, or a literal scene, whatever you'd like. So we're an optimistic podcast, if that wasn't abundantly clear already. So we will start things off optimistically with... Best scene. Number three. What is the third best scene in Nomadland? Boy, it's tough. Because I, I have like three that could really be in third for me. Um, I think what I'm going to go with, though, and actually this, I can honestly say this wouldn't have been my choice for top three the first time I saw it. But the second time it is. And it's um, uh, Fern and her sister's conversation um, when she's uh, she's staying at her sister's house and, you know, asking her for money. And it's just this, you know, there's some animosity there, but it's this conversation of her wanting Fern to stay with, like saying like, you can stay here and her just telling her like, I can't. And then really the, the emotion in the scene that grabbed me this time much more than the first time is the moment when she tells Fern like, you were stronger than me as a kid. You you were brave and I wasn't. And you like helped bring me out of my shell in those times. And truthfully, like you're my sister. I wanted to have you around all these years. And it's, I'm getting a little, little choked. Yeah, a little for yeah. talking about it. Um, and then kind of this realization and man, what a great moment by McDormand, this realization of that, like you can see it in her face. Like she never really considered that. And just this, the line of like, that's on me and just kind of accepting the blame for that. I, you know, it's, I, I certainly tend to um, become more emotional when it comes to any sibling stuff in movies. That's, me too. Uh, that's a trigger for me in a big way. And uh, that, that scene I thought was really, really lovely and really just the one, to me, it's like the one you know, Fern loves this lifestyle, but really the one negative, the huge downside of what this lifestyle has been is not having this relationship with her sister. Robin, number three. I'm going to say, and I I think this is a little cheesy, but I'm going to say it is uh, her and David Strathairn Uh, dancing. The the honky talk. Yeah. Just because I think, I mean, I... First of all, I am horny for David Strathairn. Appropriately so. And I and he looks really good in this movie. I think that that is a really excellent like I like the whole scene and I think that that is a very nice way of showing this like physical attraction that Fern definitely doesn't want to <laughs> deal with. <laughs> like she's just like she's just like I don't have time for this. <laughs> and she they express all of that without without talking about it. It just is visible yeah. on screen. They have a great relationship in this movie. I On my list, up for number three for me was their little, like, meet cute. Where he's like, oh, what is this crochet? She's like, yeah, yeah. something like it. <laughs> like, I just, I thought it was really nice and it's very simple. But yeah, their their relationship is is very, very good in this film. 
I also considered just him holding her arm when the when she's holding the snake. Oh. <laughs> Again, just like this and I that's that's an example of good directing cuz like they just do a little a cut of like him moving his hand a little bit and it's just like okay, these people have like a, a magnetic attraction to each other um but they feel very differently about yeah. that attraction. They're an interesting pairing cuz the broken plate scene hits me in a different <sighs> way too, so. Oh. Interesting. Go over there. <laughs> it's great. It's so good. Hmm. Uh, yeah, my number three, like you, Brad, uh, the second time I watched this movie, I think my my top three scenes kind of all shifted around. Uh, my number three is the the campfire story share scene with um, there's the vet with PTSD who gives his story. Um, I think Linda May might be in that scene. Um, there's a woman of color who names her Van Paint because it takes her where she ain't. Yeah, I love that line, and it's, um, line. it's also the the sailboat line, uh, and about uh, her coworker who dies, never getting to take a sailboat out, and this is this is it for her. She quit her job right then and there, or whatever, and now she she lives out here, and and that's where she finds comfort and solace and and freedom, and it's just really nice, and I'm really really drawn towards the the documentary parts of this film the the non actors like sharing their stories I think it's just really beautiful it's like Zhao captures some really really nice honest moments and uh, that scene's just chock full of them I really like it and and I should note yeah. uh, Francis McDormand is great at active listening throughout this whole movie amazing and I'm glad you mentioned the sailboat speech because that was like right there for me at, for number three potentially and I ended up going with the sister one so I'm glad it got a mention because that monologue is terrific all right brad well what do you got for number two uh number two i it's a little more of a grouping of scenes but it's kind of the whole swanky uh segment um, <laughs> segment. obviously it's the swanky segment um uh her revealing to fern that she's dying and explaining to her that she's you know there's She's not going to go be in a hospital. She's always she was in this one place that was gorgeous and she's going to go back there and live out her days there. Um, but and that I remembered very well the first time I saw it. But I did want to mention, like, then we go to a scene of Fern listening to I think it's like a Nat King Cole song or something and just looking at a picture of her husband, mm-hmm. uh, which very again with Dorman acts her ass off in this movie without saying a damn word. Uh, and then you end up in this scene of Fern cutting Swanky's hair. Mm-hmm. Her saying, uh, Fern telling Swanky, like, maybe maybe I should have let him go sooner. Maybe I, her, talking about her husband and him dying, like, maybe I should have let him go sooner. And Swanky just telling her, like, well, maybe he didn't want to go sooner. Maybe he wanted to, you know, spend as much time with you as possible. And that that is like three quick scenes. That's a total that that whole segment is a total of a couple minutes. And it floored me that it, it crushed me the first time. It crushed me even more this time with like focusing more on the McDormand side of it rather than the swanky side of it. And it's just uh, just an emotional gut punch of and I, 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 I really think it's something. Yeah, I another one I had written down that just didn't make the cut for me. I, I had it as like from the thirty minute mark to like the forty one minute mark is just all these good, good swanky scenes from like Fern getting the flat tire and needing her to drive her to town to Swanky taking off. Uh, 
it's wacky so mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she really is. I mean, yeah, she's she had right. A flag up. She has clear rules. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And most importantly, she's not actually dead because she dies in the movie, and she's she went to the Oscars, so that's good. She went to the Oscars, but her and Linda May both did, and they both look beautiful. But yeah, I was glad because a lot of this movie is very real, so I wasn't sure if she was actually still alive or not. So the first time I watched it, I was sure that she had died. And that, like, changed the plot of the film. Yes. Like, seriously, I thought that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, it's just almost no reason not to think. I mean, so that's, uh, this is a very naturalistic movie. Yeah, I totally believed it until I read otherwise. There you go. Number two? Uh, my number two is the sister scene. Oh. And something I, I also, I have, uh, you know, really close with my siblings. And my sister and I, we get along really well, but we're very, very different. And we have had those kind of conversations before where it's like, you know, just the things that you don't understand about me, I also don't understand about you. Like that really resonated with me. And then also like, ooh, being, you know, she lives in Seattle. I haven't seen her in almost two years. And it's just like, ooh, <laughs> that just that just hit me. Um, but in addition to the sibling stuff, I think that that was important backstory that it wasn't just the loss of her husband that made Fern do this, that she's always tried to break away from things and what she found in what's the name of their broken town empire empire, empire. like that was her first Vanguard, right? That was her first mm -hmm. new life. And then she hung on to that as long as she possibly could. And so when she has this new life, again, it's like just this this break from things. And that just, oh, that resonated with me a lot. Yeah, it's it's really, really awesome. And I, I mean, I'm going to touch on this uh, in a moment, actually. Uh, but my number two is uh, Bob Wills, speaking of his dead son towards the end who committed suicide. And he gets really choked up about it. And again, it's another really honest moment. And Frances McDormand's so good, again, like active listening. I don't even think she says a word in that, in his speech, but his whole philosophy comes out about, you know, I don't like to say goodbye, just see you down the road. And he maintains to be such a positive person and such an important leader in this community. And to see him after everything you've seen him do, helping all these people and leading them and giving seminars that he's, you know, you know, carrying his own burden. And it just, it's the one moment that like, really choked me up both times through um and uh yeah it's that was my number two it's also such a good thesis statement for the film yeah definitely um when when colin was watching it with me again last night uh he said he's like how often do you think that they do see each other again and i was like well <laughs> just you wait <laughs> they will talk about it <laughs> all right well here it is number one what is the best scene in nomadland for me the best scene in nomadland is the bob Wells scene the one I just mentioned? The scene you, the one you just talked about, Chris. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. Like I, I cried quite a bit the first time I saw this movie through multiple scenes. And the second time I saw it, I really only like legitimately cried once. And it's again, the Bob Wells speech talking mm -hmm. about his son, the line of, um, when he says he can't even say it out loud. When he says, I can't even say it aloud. And he says, how can I be alive on this earth when he's not? Oh God. Is just a, who is an unbelievable line. And 
you know, not to uh, just something I've like never, you know, as far as suicide and all that, like I've never really heard it contextualized that way. And just saying like kind of saying it like that was for whatever reason, the wording he uses is just devastating, devastating. The scene starts with McDormand talking about her husband again and saying, um, you know, if she leaves Empire, it would be like, you know, to, to throw it all away would be like her husband never existed. And, you know, everyone and it's kind of explaining like he was like this big guy in town, like everybody loved him. So I couldn't pull him away from that. Like I just kind of accepted and stayed there. So you're even adding kind of more to this backstory of her and her relationship and why she felt stuck for so long. And even though she felt stuck, she stayed because her husband was so happy there and it was his, um, you know, safe place or his happy place. And then to transition from that into that Bob Wells speech, like, I'm just like, man, I know why this is basically the climax of the movie because it just crushes you. So yeah, for me, that was, that's the number one for me. So I was also going to say that for number one, but I'm going to, I'm going to pivot. Me and Robin are on the same page. (laughs) I'm going to pivot to another scene that I loved, which we haven't talked about yet, which was um, early on when she is uh, parked at a gas station and she gets the door knock and, and she's like, somebody told me I could park here. And the woman's like, "Uh, you are welcome, but it gets really cold and I don't want to overstep my bounds, but like you can go to this shelter I think that that is such an important scene early on in the film because it it shows the danger of this lifestyle. Like I, one of the criticisms I've heard a lot of people talk about this movie is that it like overly romanticizes nomad life. And that is a scene where it's like, okay, no, this is not, you know, all beautiful vistas, right? And it also shows um, this human goodness and kindness which is such an important part of this film, which I loved that Chloe Zhao talked about in her acceptance speech. Uh, it reminded me of the movie Leave No Trace. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I didn't actually. Uh, it's an amazing movie. I highly recommend it. And one of the reasons I loved that movie was that it's a movie where people are fundamentally good and want to help each other. And that is also the case in Nomadland. And that is such a good example of someone being kind, but it's still awkward. It just, it's such a richly textured scene i'm so glad you mentioned that i love that scene too and it did not make my list but it's it's just the woman the way she approaches fern and then says what she you know like there's a church up the street i don't want to overstep like you do what you would want to do though is just so you can tell she's had to do this a number of times and it's just exactly really hit me in in a very in a way i didn't really expect um but yeah Mm -hmm. i do think I kind of understand what people are saying, like romanticizing the bad when it comes to either this lifestyle or the Amazon working conditions. But honestly, I think it shows it in a fairly realistic light. I don't think it's it's fairly neutral. I'm like, this is what it is. This is what it looks like. I don't think that nomadic life is too romanticized, although there's beautiful cinematography in this movie. But like there's shitting in buckets and you're going to freeze to death in the coldest winters. And it's... I don't find it that appealing from the way this movie looks at it. And Amazon, Jesus, the first shot is like this enormous concrete building in this ominous dark blue sky. And you cut to inside and it looks like it's out of 
Terry Gilliam's Brazil, which is not something that I would call <laughs> uh, showing Amazon working conditions in a good light. So I don't know, but that's that's my way to weigh in on that. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, my number one is a, a new one for the second time around. I didn't barely recognize the scene my first time around, and this time it hit me really, really hard. Was Fern um, and Zhao examining the life and the elements of family before she leaves Dave's son's house early in the morning, just Great. going Love room it. to room, sitting down in chairs, looking at stray toys or like a glass that wasn't put away from last night or, or whatever it is, these little details and making the conscious de- decision to say, no, I'm not settling down with Dave and in, in this lifestyle. Although, you know, there's clearly some attractive elements and pull for her to do that. But ultimately, she's not comfortable there, and that's not what she wants to do. So she leaves. And honestly, from there on out to the rest of the movie is absolutely outstanding. Because uh, then you go to the Bob yeah. Wells scene, uh, you see Fern working, go back to Amazon, and then ultimately go back to Empire and go back to her house. And then you get the the searchers. Yeah, you go to the searchers ending, framing her walking out the back door of her house uh, <laughs> towards the desert and desert and desert with the mountains. And it's, I, I loved it so much. The end is, is beautiful. Yeah. Great choice. Oh yeah. And, and why don't we talk about Chloe Zhao as like bringing back Westerns, like the writer and this now are both like brilliant modern takes on Westerns. I haven't seen the writer, which obviously I need to correct immediately. Yeah. Yeah. After seeing this, I was like, oh shit, I got to see that movie. Yeah. Uh, Cause this is, she you're gonna, is something you're gonna special. be floored. It's a, Arguably, maybe better movie than Nomadland. Okay. Wow. It's real good. Okay. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. see. Make up your own mind. All right. Well, if there's a best scene, that means there must be a worst scene. What are our bottom three worst scenes? Number three? I'll start this time. Shitting in a bucket. <laughs> Don't need to see it. <laughs> It's on my list too. I will say. <laughs> we just don't need it. I you know, I understand that I was saying that I think this movie should should it should have the the dark side of nomad life, but I don't need to see shitting in a bucket. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's a decent amount of shitting in this movie as it is. She also shits in a field early on in the film. And then uh, I thought maybe she was peeing at that uh, point. I just sure. thought she was peeing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well. She does she she that's also like that would do the same effect with less gross. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And you have the whole scene where they're like, use this bucket, seven gallon or five gallon or two gallon bucket. Like we got it. They shit in buckets. Yep. Like I, 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 I'm with you like, wow. And that's only because it's tough to find a worse scene for me in this movie. <laughs> but that was definitely, I had a li- I listed like four things and that was certainly in the running for, one of my worst yeah. scenes. I think it's important to note that for the lifestyle uh, that, yeah, you have to shit in buckets, but maybe, yeah, you don't have to show her getting food poisoning or whatever and then having to shit in the bucket while playing the flute also. What was that? <sighs> that was weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, man, I should have wrote that down. I didn't even think of that, but that is uh, that is very out of left field. Yeah. Mine are, my first two at least, are very just jokey things because there's not much to pick at at this movie but it, it bugs me that there's a fence around the wall drug 80 foot dinosaur it kind of ruins the magic of that dinosaur statue so that's my number three 
<laughs> I'm sure it's because people climb, try to climb on that shit all the time. 100%. Yeah. yeah. But come on. Take that away. Yeah. My number three, which I, I, I'm only like, I was between this and shitting in a bucket because Robin said shitting <laughs> in a bucket. Uh, I'll go with this. And it's, it's seriously just for the scenery is so gorgeous. Like it really doesn't matter. But I was... I did find myself in this time watching being like, wow, there's a lot of shots of just Francis McDormand walking around in the Badlands. Like multiple. There's so many scenes of just her walking around and like, you know, see, and and I get it. She's see, you're seeing the different types of people. You're seeing the beautiful scenery. Like I'm really nitpicking here, but it did stand out to me this time. There's multiple times, probably like five different times where she's just walking. And truthfully, I would have like, I wouldn't have even brought this up. I would have gone with shitting in a bucket. But because you said it, I was like, well, I'll bring this up just because it almost struck me as funny more than anything else. I didn't even have a problem with it. I was like, wow, she just she just walks around a lot in this movie (laughs) through and just kind of says hi to people. And I get why Chloe Zhao does it because the she's like, okay, the scenery behind you is gorgeous. So let's just get this. You're going to walk around. You're going to say hi to some people. And we got it. We got the shot. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, you know, lavishing in the landscape. But all right. Oh, me too. It was just more this time it struck me as a little funny of how frequently it happened. I clocked it as more than anything. Uh, all right. Number two, we're seeing. Uh, mine's already been mentioned a little bit. It's get that snake off Francis McDormand, please. I love Francis McDormand <laughs> and I hate snakes and I don't want to see this. Like we can just have the, the you know the um, just focus ast- on Davis Strathairn holding her arm, right, right, <laughs> or like do something like that in the in the astronomy part of the date. We don't have to do the zoo part. Of yeah, the date, you know. My my number two is the two white kids with dreadlocks who are like trying to sell art or something. Rocks, rocks. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that. It's good that they represent that kind of nomad because I am certain that they exist. (laughs) But I also felt like it was wasted time. And it comes shortly after the scene with like, the only black character who speaks is the woman who named her Van Paint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it like, why it just felt so aggressively, like, why are we spending time on these boring people? Yeah, it only to like give us a link to talk to the guy who wants the cigarette later, I guess. But because I thought those scenes were decent, but I guess yeah. we don't need a way in for Fern and him to talk. Like he could just see her smoking and ask the bum of right. smoke. But yeah, yeah, easy enough. Yeah, good point. Uh, number two for oh, number two for me was more of a question, and it's I was kind of surprised she can just walk back into her house like is her house owned by somebody else or... i mean they discontinued the zip code <laughs> what a great like that that opening sentence of like they closed the plant by the end of the year they discontinued the zip code yeah. that's like ooh. Okay. Yeah. yeah the idea of discontinuing a zip code is something i didn't even realize could happen exactly yes uh, but I, I was watching it thinking, like, she just walked back into her house. I mean, I guess that's what it is. Like, the town's shut down. It's basically vacant, and every and everything's just kind of open. It's a ghost town. Right. 
I just kind of assumed there would be, you know, I don't know whether the government would seize it or something. I, I don't know how that works, but I, it did just pop into my head this time. Like, could she just walk back into her house at this point? And I guess the answer is yes, obviously. But from my understanding, there's a decent amount of ghost towns that still exist across across the American West. I mean, right. I, and I guess that's what it is. Like, you just leave your home and your home is just there and nobody really does anything to it. It's not like boarded up or anything. It just exists with nobody living in it. I'm sure if their neighbors were still there, they would have locked it and boarded it up and it would have been owned by a bank. But if there's no one left in the town, who cares? Yeah, I guess I don't know if it goes like the state government. I don't know how these things work. All right. Well, that leaves us with the number one worst scene. Again, mine's already been mentioned in a positive light, but I thought Dave's picking up of the box before he smashes the plates looked a little staged. And in a movie where everything felt very naturalistic to me, it felt just a little too wooden of just like, I know the bottom's going to fall out of this box. Yeah. And I have to get it over here. Like, I, I don't know. It, it hit me the second time through where I was like, maybe it's just because I knew it was coming. But I wouldn't mind that scene not being in the film because I find it devastating. Like when it you is. have so few possessions that have meaning for you to lose. One of them is is I get I, I have too many possessions and I get <laughs> sad when I break something. So like I would have had a total breakdown as opposed to just saying, go over there. Uh, but go over there is what saves it for me. Oh, and that's why I mentioned that scene before, because it is so devastating. She mentions like this was from her dad and how she, you know, these plates mean so much to her. And then it's especially a guy who's just trying to do a nice thing. Like really just wants to help her out and then to smash them is just oh crushing. I yeah. yeah, that's kind of why I love it, but I also understand why it's tough. So it had the correct emotional effect on me the first time I watched it, where I was, yeah, devastated. Like, oh my god, her plates, like the one thing she has left of her life. And uh, but the second time watching it, it just felt and again, maybe it was just my own anticipation of it happening, but I just felt like the actor's movement in it and the that's the only time in the whole movie that i was like oh i see the wheels turning behind the making of this movie hmm. yeah number one my number one we're seeing is yay isn't it fun to work at amazon <laughs> <laughs> and i i found it really interesting that you were saying that you thought that they made it look dystopian because i thought it looked like summer camp mm. <laughs> You know, mm. like there's like call and response and, and Fran is, or Fern, it's, that's tricky, uh, yeah. is, you know, laughing and smiling and sharing her banana with her new best buddies at the cafeteria. And it just feels weird. Yeah, the, the cafeteria definitely seems like fun, like school lunch flashbacks, great times. But the call and response, I definitely find that kind of corporate uh, forced indoctrination to be a little, a little dystopian feeling. Yeah, and I guess I've worked enough jobs kind of like that before where like, yeah, I can like I had fun in the break room with people I work with, but I hated the job. It paid me shit and it wasn't like a good experience. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying, Robin. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's it's definitely borderline. I don't I, I see it as more of a neutral. I, I kind of agree with Chris. Like I do see it as more of a neutral because I don't look at like her working in Amazon, like she can only work there so frequently. She obviously doesn't make that much money. Right. So I, I definitely don't look at it as um, a positive experience in any way. 
But I, I totally get your point of like the summer camp element because it does kind of seem like, hey, we're all having fun here a little bit more than it should. But I guess I've had enough jobs like that where I'm still having fun. And I'm like, <laughs> every day when I'm going to that job, though, I'm like, I can't f- believe I have to go to this job. Um, so. I definitely, you know, because they use Amazon by name and use the image and they obviously got permission for this, it feels sinister because it's Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I listen, I am not. I am not pure. I shop from Amazon. Like, <laughs> yeah. I do so with guilt in my heart. Um, and it, like Colin said, is this an Amazon movie? <laughs> you know, like it really, it just feels weird. And with a movie that is in so many other respects, so deeply authentic, it, it really is like the biggest knock against the whole film for me. Yeah. That, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, it's it's definitely like the black eye on the film. Yeah. Like, okay, did we have to do this? I mean, call it, you know, Scamazon and you're <laughs> fucking on your way. Um, I mean, you'd probably still get sued for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, for them to obviously use Amazon, they had to keep it at least somewhat positive. Otherwise, they'd be like, absolutely not. And I think given the fact that they were u- they used it, and I still don't think made it feel like a super positive thing is actually kind of impressive that they got away with that without making it seem like they got away with using it without making it seem like this amazing place to work. But it's a tough sell for sure. Okay. I'm glad you guys are not as as harsh on it because I know for some people it like totally destroyed the movie for them. And I think that that's a shame. Well, sure. They didn't show any of them having to piss in buckets or... Uh do any union busting like so i mean it was just right. like except in their vans right right exactly but not in amazon warehouses which i think is the important not part. in the fulfillment center yeah. <laughs> i know i was kidding i did i do have one other thing i want to say about the the shitting in a bucket is that <laughs> <laughs> sir sharon shit in a bucket in brooklyn oh yeah. and so this is the second right. uh oscar nominated performance in recent years to feature that thank you for those fun oscar tidbits <laughs> Oh, Chris, we might have a new Trash Star Destroy coming soon. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Oscar nominees to shit in buckets. Exactly. Uh, my number one was also the snake scene. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've seen people do that thing before. Oh, you wrap a snake around their neck. I have always felt like you, there is no positive to that. The only thing that can happen is something terribly negative. <laughs> it starts squeezing her arm. Yeah, fuck that. I see people, and I, I mean, I guess like you get like a rush from having the, you know, something potentially threatening around you. But to me, that is, there's nothing exciting about that. There's nothing enjoyable about that. To me, the only thing that can happen is absolute tragedy. So why even do it? Fair enough. <laughs> it's the, the Tiger King rule, right? Don't screw with exotic animals. Yeah, or the Siegfried and Roy. Oh, yeah, Siegfried and Roy. Good one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and that, yeah, good one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a good example. We're getting out of that. We're getting out of that. <laughs> it's time for Milking It, our favorite podcast game to play. We are going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000, and it's going to provide us with a couple bits of information to play this next game. The first thing it's going to do is give us a time restraint, a pitch length, if you will. 
We will get either an elevator pitch, which will equal 30 seconds, a water cooler pitch for one American minute, or a boardroom pitch for a minute and a half to get out your pitch, a title, and a quick summary of a new reimagined nomad land. The computer will also provide us with a second piece of information, either a genre, an actor, or a director that must be showcased in your new Nomadland pitch. Uh, the actor will be the uh, main character. The director, obviously, would be in the director's chair, or the movie would have to be reimagined in a different genre. So let's get out the old computer here. <laughs> All right. Oh, computer, you have me going first. The elevator pitch, 30 seconds for me to get out Nomadland as a buddy comedy. Okay, I think we can do that. Lots of lots of potential for that. Uh, oh, Robin, you're going next with the water cooler pitch. One minute. This is interesting. To do David Lynch's Nomadland. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good director card. Uh, and Brad, that leaves you with the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds. Appropriate enough. Here we go. We're, we're entering May and that is the start of summer blockbuster season. So Nomadland, the summer blockbuster, Brad. Terrific. Fits in perfectly. It sure does. And appropriately enough, Chloe Zhao's next movie, not a summer blockbuster, but undoubtedly going to be a blockbuster, Marvel's Eternals. We're going to take a quick minute, gather our thoughts. And be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment. And we're back right in the middle of milking it. All right, I'm up first. The elevator pitch for Nomadland as a buddy comedy. 30 seconds on the clock. And away we go. After assisting her with her broken arm, Fern, a widow new to life on the road, is taken under the wing of Swanky, a cantankerous road veteran accustomed to the life lifestyle. They travel around the American West finding new ways to make ends meet uh, in, in one nice big van until they push things a little too far and rob a bank. Now they must run from the law and make a break for the border in Swanky and Fern. <laughs> I was really nice. curious who was going to get to be the, the buddy. I was thinking maybe Linda May, but I felt like Swanky was too good of a, a bigger foil for Fern to have. I, I think it'd be, yeah. yeah. It goes better in the title too. It definitely is a better title. I think Linda May is a more buddy comedy ready character, mm. right? Swanky's a more dramatic character, but you you sold me on it should be Swanky. Oh, excellent. Thank you. All right. Robin, you're up next. I am I'm very anxious to hear this. The water cooler pitch, 60 seconds for David Lynch's Nomadland. Here we go. Well, truthfully, I thought about totally throwing out your intended pitch and saying the straight story, <laughs> but in Vanguard. Uh, but I'm going to honor the premise and say that we will start in Empire in the 1950s. And all of the nomads who we meet, are go we're going to see them in Empire in its company town heyday. And then we will cut to... The nomad life and all sorts of David Lynchy weird things will happen. Uh, we'll have flashbacks to happy history of Empire, and um, that snake uh, is going to talk. <laughs> yeah, maybe backwards. 
that's it. <laughs> and your title? Vanguard. Actually, yeah. that's good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I will like a snake better if it's talking. That can give me a little bit of, you know, remove from my actual fear of snakes. So that's good. Yeah. And talking backwards. And I assume people still understand it, though. Almost like uh, Chewbacca-esque. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Chewbacca doesn't yes. talk backwards. <laughs> no, but like they understand what he's saying when he's not making any sense. We don't know if Chewbacca talks forwards or backwards. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> uh, fair, good I point. guess. But <laughs> good point, Robin. <laughs> All right. Chewbacca talks forwards. I gotta, he has to. Yoda's the one talking backwards. So we don't have more <laughs> aliens in Star Wars talking backwards. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Inverted sentences. What, whatever yeah. helps you sleep at night, buddy. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Brad, let's have your summer blockbuster help me sleep at night. A minute and a half for the boardroom pitch. Nomadland, the summer blockbuster. Go ahead. Fern lives in a rundown town ran by the evil empire. Uh, and ha- they have made it unlivable. There's no food, there's no water, and they're trying to, but they're basically holding everybody somewhat hostage there because they feel like there's no other place to go. So Fern decides to go with a band of nomads across the country to find better life, better resources. Um, but then when this happens, the empire, of course, starts coming after them. So now Fern and her band of nomads have to battle the empire in RV slash van chases across the American country uh, as they try to stop them and bring them back. Uh, Vern eventually reaches a place with a nice man named David who offers her to stay there and tells her that it's a safe place, that she can be happy there. But she knows deep down that she has to go back to Empire to help all the people and save her hometown. So um, she decides to go back and uh, it ends up... uh, Once she's back there, the nomads all show up with her in order to fight the evil empire in an epic battle. And eventually they take back empire and rue the day in the movie. Nomad to the max Ferns road. (laughs) Nice. I was going to say, this is very giving me strong uh, beyond Thunderdome Fury Road kind of fusion vibes. So I'm glad you leaned in with that. Oh, yeah. Very good. Nomad to the max. That sounds so much more watchable than I was expecting it to. <laughs> oh, that actually means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really, I can't wait for that RV fight race in the desert. So that's going to be really cool. The van and the RV. That was the best part for me. I was like, that would be really cool, actually, <laughs> to see like this super crazy chase. But it's just vans and RVs. That was also in my short list for a top three seed was when they go in the fancy RV. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, it's like great what? scene. It's like a disco. <laughs> it's such a good moment. All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the show. We've just sold three movies. Congratulations to Hollywood for getting three more spun off films. Mm, they need it. <laughs> they really do. Only one last thing to do. And that's Brad Davis. You just watched Nomadland. What are you going to do next? I mean, we kind of already talked about it. I, the writer, I got to see the writer after seeing, uh, what Chloe Zhao is capable of. Uh, and I I even remember hearing people talk about that movie when it came out and not really fully understand when they were like, it's kind of non-actors with, you know, like a real actor. Maybe they're all non-actors. I was kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound good. And now actually seeing Nomadland, I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you did there. So 
for me, it's seeing the rider. Robin Hitchcock, you just watched Nomadland. What are you going to do next? I'll also watch the writer and I'm also yes. going to rewatch the straight story because I just reminded myself that it exists. And I just checked it's on Disney plus. <laughs> and I love that there's a David Lynch movie on Disney plus. <laughs> that is great. That's really funny. Chris, you just watched Nomadland. What are you going to do next? Uh, yeah, you just reminded me, actually, that's good to know, because I have never seen The Straight Story, actually. It's one of the few It's Lynch's. literally my favorite David Lynch movie. Oh, it's, it's only <laughs> one of the few I've yet to see. So I, I will get on that. But my real, my one, my planned, what am I going to do next, is actually Chloe Zhao's first film, Songs My Brothers Taught Me, uh, which is a very small independent film that I uh, really want to see after seeing these two efforts. Um, I think it also deals a little bit in that pseudo-Western genre, so I'm I'm all about that and uh very anxious to see what she does on even a smaller scale because i don't think it really matters with her uh and that's it guys robin thank you so much for joining us for the podcast and discussing nomadland and a little oscars postmortem with us thanks for having me this was fun uh i will highly recommend both your podcasts the keanu review and number one movie in america um i, I believe you can Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe available anywhere podcasts are found. All those places. Excellent. Anything else you'd like to plug? Support the arts. Love it. Agreed. Bravo. Yeah. Brad Davis, Bravo. thank you as always, buddy. Thank you, sir. Always my pleasure. At BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Death at Sunset seasons one and two still available anywhere you listen to podcasts are uh, Sunshine Noir radio play. Please check it out. That's right. And I'm at Hitchdied. And I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. That's Chris with an O in place of the I. All right, guys, that's it. We love you, listeners. Thanks for listening. We love you. Goodbye. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. The biggest award of the night, the best picture of 2020 as voted on by your hosts, your guests, and you assuming you follow us on Twitter. It's the Palme de Verre. The nominees are The Five Bloods, Dick Johnson is Dead, First Cow, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. And the Felix goes to Judas and the Black Messiah. Congrats to Shaka King. With a cast like this, I can't say I'm surprised. And that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening to the inaugural High on Film Awards. Congratulations to all the winners and to the rest of the nominees. We know it was just an honor to be nominated. See you next year. Good night, everybody. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.